and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Tim and Friends for this Tuesday, May 18th. One more sleep until the North Division playoffs. I'm Tim McAuliffe, and I will be with you for the next two hours of edutainment on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet 590. The fan. We will take you right up until Hockey Central. Seven Eastern, three games on the slate in the Stanley Cup playoffs for tonight. All game twos. Islanders, Penguins, Lightning, Panthers, and the Wild and the Knights. And remember, every playoff night begins right here on Tim and Friends. Lots of hockey talk coming up as we assemble the round table. Nick Kiprios, Renault Lavoie, and ESPN's Emily Kaplan will join me. Plus, as if that weren't enough, Maple Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe will take some time to join us. Leafs and Habs first playoff series in 42 years begins on Thursday. Not only the first since 1979, but it's just the third since 1967. It's crazy. Montreal expected to have Shea Weber, Carey Price, and Brendan Gallagher back in the lineup for that game number one. But Dominic Ducharme, early curveball today by telling the world that Cole Caulfield, Sperry Kotkaniemi, and Alex Romanoff would all sit out the season opener. We'll hear from Ducharme, and we'll also have much more on the Leafs and the Habs, as well as the Jets and Oilers coming up. So stick around, please. I beg of you, it's my livelihood. It was another great night of playoff hockey Monday night. Bruins even up their series with the Capitals with a comeback win. Of course, Taylor Hall gets on the score sheet. He tied the game with just under three minutes remaining in a scrum. And then Brad Marchand landed in Taylor Hall's hands with the winner less than a minute into overtime. And we talked about it yesterday, but just how good has the start of the playoffs been? I mean, it took until the third period of the sixth game of this Stanley Cup playoffs for any team to have a two-goal lead. Think about that for a second. No two-goal lead until the sixth game of the playoffs. Jordan Stahl's second goal of the game gave the Canes a 4-2 lead over the Preds. It was the first time any team had led by more than one goal in these playoffs. Carolina took game one, five, two. How about the fans in Raleigh? There were about 12,000 in the building, and it felt like more. The Canes, uh, obviously happy to have the support in the building. It was awesome. It was incredible. It's one of the best atmospheres that I've ever played in front of, for sure. A full barn, it's doesn't even compare to what we heard tonight. Just whatever we had 12,000 tonight and it felt like 24. You know, it was it was crazy. The crowd was phenomenal. You know, I just can't say enough about that. That was nice. That that was great for everybody that got to be here. Just if that's how it should feel. You know, we've been missing that for so long and um, I was happy that our fans got to see us play tonight and play well. I mean, that that was really important. And it comes to Canada. N- never mind. Final game of the night. <laughs> President's Trophy winning Avs were impressive in their 4-1 win over the Blues. Captain Gabriel Landeskog leading the way with the Gordie Howe hat trick. Uh, I fumbled over Gabriel Landeskog because I was thinking in my head, man, is Nathan McKinnon good. 
Because <laughs> he is. As mentioned, plenty of hockey talk coming up with the roundtable. Uh, we'll have the latest on all of the news heading into tonight's game. Getting Malkin, game time decision for the Penguins as they look to even up their series with the Isles. All that coming up, uh, 6 o'clock or the roundtable. Meanwhile, baseball. Blue Jays begin a critical 10-game. It's being overshadowed a wee bit by the Stanley Cup playoffs, but this is a big 10-game stretch early for the Jays. They start against their AL East rivals, the Red Sox. Then, Rays and Yankees, all in the AL East. Ben Wagner will join us from Dunedin, where Hyunjin Ryu will get the ball in the opener against the Red Sox. By the end of this series, the Jays could be first in the division. Blue Jays Central begins 7 Eastern, on Sportsnet 1, and speaking of baseball, Shohei Otani. What the hell? <laughs> One day after hitting a game-winning home run in the ninth inning at Fenway Park, Otani hit another highlight reel bomb from the bleeping bill of his cap in an Angels win over Cleveland last night. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Shohei time all the time 94 upstairs i mean that's incredible that's a rock star <laughs> i love the immediate oh my goodness from the bride like he knew immediately what he was seeing he doesn't see very often his major league leading 13th home run of the season it was 4.19 feet off the ground which is the second highest pitch anyone has homered off of this season and it was no doubter the pitcher Otani has a 2.10 ERA. If he qualified for the league leaders, he would be tied for 10th with Max Scherzer, and he's averaging 14 Ks per nine, which would rank him second in the majors, only behind Jacob Degrom. Unbelievable what he is doing right now. Unfortunately for the Angels, Mike Trout was forced to can't leave, wait for the laugh on this one, Jesse, because Trout leaves the game last night, calf strain. Bad news for anyone who likes baseball. He's listed as questionable for tonight, so maybe it's not all that bad. Yet, this is where you laugh. Despite having the top two favorites for AL MVP, despite having wasted the majority of maybe one of the best players we will ever see in Mike Trout, the Angels are 18-22 and 22 on the season. One of just five teams in the American League with a sub-500 record. And you have... Otani and Trout. All right, I'll move on. NBA postseason begins tonight with the inaugural play-in tournament. That's right, kids. Eastern Conference up first. Seventh-seeded Celtics will host the number eight-seed Wizards with the winner advancing to the first round as the seventh-seed. Um, and the loser will play the 9-10 game or the winner between the 9-10. Listen, it's confusing even to me. Either way, the lower seeds, one of them will move on. The second one will play the winner of the Hornets and a depleted Pacers team to determine who is the eighth seed. Got it good, McAuliffe? And since you understood, the Raptors continued their end-of-season media availabilities today, and it was uh, Kyle Lowry's turn. I think he spoke for 15, no, sorry, 45 minutes with the media. As we've talked about extensively, Lowry's contract is up, and so is team president's Masai Ujiri. And Lowry says their decisions are not mutually exclusive. Hmm. Part of the reason I'm still here is because of him. 
right? And the part of the reason I resigned here twice is because of him, right? That's that's a large part of why I'm able to be who I am and be and, and gotten to this point. So his decision, yes, it, it definitely um, will you know factor into anything, but um, I, I want him to get what he he deserves, right? He's one of the he is the best out there, right? He's he should be the number one, you know, rated president slash general manager slash whatever other title you the president of basketball operations. He is that. Um, he will get his his payday and he and it's well deserved and well earned. Um, he's put together um, great teams and he's put together one of the franchise's greatest runs there has been, right? And and like to say it. I, yeah, he didn't trade for me, but he was the one that paid me to to stay twice and um, he gave me the opportunity to to continue to lead. So um, he's made great moves. And like I said, his his decision, um, whatever it is, I want him to be happy also. Man, 45 minutes and Lowry had the media eating out of the palm of his hand. He even dropped a few names that may be potential destinations. No one really stopped on those two names to see if he was planting those seeds for a reason. He, like It's almost as if he has figured out the media the same way that he figured out how to be among the most effective players in the NBA. It is going to be a very interesting couple of months for the Raptors. We'll talk more about it with Danielle Michaud of the Raptors broadcast when she joins me in our Number two, Lowry also said today that playing in this summer's Olympics is still, quote, under consideration, which leads me to first things first. First things first. first. Some things in life are worth fighting for. And for Mandy Bouchot, she has spent most of her life doing that, literally. The 33-year-old Canadian boxer has won 11 Canadian National Championships and two Pan Am Games titles. The only thing that has eluded her is an Olympic podium, and Tokyo was supposed to be her shot. The only thing standing in her way seems to be the IOC and the birth of her daughter. Let me explain. Our 11-time national champion, has qualified for just one Olympic Games in Rio back in 2012. The London Games, Bougeot thought she had qualified at the Pan Ams, only to have the qualification standards changed. That's right, her first Olympics, or the first Olympics, to include women's boxing, wanted to make the world championships more meaningful. So they changed the game and made many fighters qualify again at the world's in China, Bujou got a terrible draw and lost to a top-ranked fighter from North Korea. In Rio, she was a podium favorite, but just before her quarterfinal matchup, she fell sick. And the next day, like a true Canadian warrior, all she did was unhook her intervenous and went into the arena to fight. Having lost five pounds in 24 hours, she lost to a three-time world champion in Ren San San of China. After the heartbreak... Bougeot took a step back and had a child, a daughter, fittingly named Kate Olympia, fittingly K.O., and fittingly for the unfinished business of the Olympia. So she returns to the ring, Montreal, December of 2019, and won a spot 
on the Canadian team that would head to the Olympic qualifying tournament planned for Buenos Aires in March of 2020. It was the kind of feel-good story that I was just talking about on Mother's Day. Super moms who don't have to be athletes, but in so many cases these days are athletes. It had all the makings of a great story. That is until the pandemic and the IOC hit. The qualification tournament in Argentina was canceled amid COVID. And instead of holding another tournament, just as they are doing in Europe in June, the Americas decided no qualification tournament would be held. Instead, the IOC's boxing task force said it would simply take boxers from the Americas based on their rankings for the last three tournaments held in 2018 and 2019 thereby effectively punishing Bougeot for having a child at the wrong time. But surely, surely the IOC in all its glory would make amends. They would make it right. It's happened before. Serena Williams and the WTA. The WTA changed their ranking systems after taking a PR beating for Serena's world ranking after she took the time and gave birth to her daughter, also fittingly named Olympia. I mean, surely the governing body of the games that sells themselves on ideals of the Olympic movement, a movement that includes the very sentence in their Olympic charter to encourage and support the promotion of women in sport at all levels and in all structures with a view to implementing the principle of equality of men and women. Surely that entity couldn't stand in the way of a woman having her Olympic dream crushed by having a child? Especially when more and more women are returning to the sport after childbirth. I mean, this is the exact kind of story that they are promoting on their websites, the Olympic websites, and, of course, their press releases to live up to those words in the charter that I just read to you. But lo and behold, here we are, Two months away from the games, and Bougeot and her lawyer, Sylvie Rodrigue, lost their appeal to the very same IOC, leaving her final shot in the hands of the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Why does it always seem to be a Canadian? Why does it always seem to be one of us, from Sylvie Frechette in Barcelona to Jamie Soleil and David Peltier, from the now infamous Fin step that Sid Sixero made famous, or at least outside of figure skating, he made it famous, to what we have now come to learn from 979, the documentary, among others, that Ben Johnson probably wasn't the only one in that race in Seoul to get by with a little help from his friends and some chemicals. But in the end, most times, even in the cases that I just rattled off, the truth comes out. What's right prevails. And since a viewer pointed this story out to me, Bougeot has been featured in the New York Times. Former heavyweight champ Lennox Lewis spoke out. Billie Jean King has jumped on board. Most recently, the Minister of Canadian Heritage wrote a letter to support Bougeot to the president of the IOC, Thomas Bach. But why do we now need the Court of Arbitration to do the right thing? Surely... The IOC can still do that. I get, I get 
that the world has devolved into sound bites and headlines and that more and more people are getting away with saying one thing and doing quite another. Optics have become way too important to way too many people. But I was always told, I was raised on the idea that actions speak louder than words. And it's time for the IOC to live up to the ideals that they have set out for themselves. It's time for the IOC to be held accountable for once to their own words and to put those ideals into practice. Hell, it's just time for the IOC to do the right thing and send a message so future Kate Olympias and Olympias everywhere can hear loud and clear and put Mandy Bougeau in the Olympics where she belongs. First things first. first. And that is first things first. Uh, Jesse, I, like, I don't know how you oppose the idea of this. I know that the IOC, in their explanation of the preliminary appeal, mm-hmm. said, hey, if we do this for Mandy, then a bunch of different boxers who missed time because of COVID and other reasons could make the same appeal. But it's not. You type in uh, IOC, which I just did in Google, and the first word that comes after IOC that automatically populates is corruption. And I'm not saying that the whole thing is corrupt, but I'm saying that this is an organization that has a reputation of not always doing the right thing. And it's pretty obvious in this situation, this is not the right way to go about doing this. This is someone who prepared and literally timed it, timed having a child so that she would have the ability to perform in this Olympics. Yeah. And it just feels like it's being robbed from her when it, it seems like it's so obvious that this shouldn't be the case. Uh, we'll leave it up into the hands of the court of arbitration, but hopefully with the growing chorus, uh, we finally get the, the correct answer for, sure. for a Canadian in a spot like this when we all know what the correct answer is. Still to come, Danielle Michaud to talk NBA play-in, playoffs, and Kyle Lowry. Ben Wagner from Dunedin as the Jays open a important early series with the Red Sox. Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe, 48 hours before the Habs and Leafs get going. And speaking of, next up, the roundtable, kids. A great start to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the North hasn't even started yet. Nick Kiprios, Emily Kaplan, Renaud Lavoie on the roundtable next right here. A Tim and Friends! Grizzlick slides it across, score! Marshad wins it, 39 seconds into overtime. Landeskog wants to go, here we go! Right by Landeskog, right by Landeskog, he's right to the right. Oh, he's screaming right on Shin's head! Game Landeskog just went to town on Braden Shin. Pastelou still has it, he scores! His second of the game! They've got some pushing and shoving as Grubauer gets into it with Here, here comes Bennington. It's coming down the ice. He wants a piece. And this is sending a message. He's through Cavani. What an attempt! What a goal! And that's why it's so special. The crowds are here to witness a moment like that. I did watch that video, uh, Grange, uh, so uh, amazingly narrated. I mean, could have done a little bit of a better job, but yeah, not getting too much credit.
Welcome back to Tim and Friends, a jam-packed show, and the Tuesday tradition just keeps growing in stature by the week. The virtual roundtable has assembled to talk a little hockey today, and perhaps the greatest start in Stanley Cup playoff history. It took less than 48 hours for us to get to that Leafs-Habs playoff series, the first time since 1979, just the third in the last 53 years. So we're set. We're good. Let's go. Today's Tim and Friends Roundtable features a couple of old friends and a new one. Let's start back in the day. You know him from Hockey Night in Canada and Hockey Central at noon. Now doing his thing on his own at the Real Kipper at noon, making his, like, I don't know, 1,001st appearance here on the several iterations of the show. It's Nick Kiprios. Welcome back, Kipper. How are you, buddy? Tim, always nice to get a break from Doug McClain. Uh, you'll you'll do just fine. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Another old friend from back in the radio days. His insider knowledge is consumed on Twitter in both official languages. So are his broadcast <laughs> skills and his Bears fandom, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. It's Renaud Lavoie. How are you, buddy? Thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm right on the Bears. You are totally right. So let's go to Chicago. Finally, she made her first of a couple of appearances as the Big Bad American on our round table on this Canadian show, eh? But she's just back as a plain old damn good hockey reporter from ESPN. It's Emily Kaplan. What's going on, Caps? How are you? I'm good. Sorry, we're just going to talk about Justin Fields the whole time, man or no. (laughs) Nice. I'm a Michigan fan, so I don't know if I'll enjoy that one all that much. Uh, Let's move on. Let's play the feud. We begin en français avec mon ami Renaud. Qu'est-ce qui se passe avec Ducharme, Kotkaniemi, Caulfield? I'm kidding. I would be lost if you answered in French. Let me just ask you. What's I'm go- out. What- <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I'm done, I'm done for this segment. Uh, what's going on with the Habs? Ducharme, no Kat Kanyemi, yeah. no Caulfield, no yeah. Roman. Are you surprised? Uh, not really. Uh, uh, maybe on Cole Caulfield a, bit, a little bit because he did everything uh, in his power to, uh, you know, be uh, in the lineup to start the playoffs. But if you look at the Asperico Kanyemi, He's got uh, some issues in his game, so they're giving him, quote-unquote, a break. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be back at some point uh, versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you look at the Alexander Romanov, uh, it's a little bit of the same thing. Uh, you know, he's not really reliable right now in the D zone, so they need to make a change. They need to put more veteran uh, players in the lineup, and that's exactly uh, what Dominic Ducharme is going to do for uh, Game 1 Thursday. Uh, It's not exactly Ohio State, Kaplan, but uh, given the hype that surrounded Caulfield at Wisconsin, given the hype that surrounds all three of those guys, are you surprised at this call by Desharmes? I am, and this is just my American perspective because, of course, we want to see the young American play, but (laughs) I feel like the biggest issue with the Montreal Canadiens over the last several years is they don't have high-end talent. And here's the three players, in my opinion, Mm. who have the highest upside in talent, but it seems that they just need to go with veteran, as Renault said, and physicality, and that's why these guys are sitting out. But for a more entertaining series, I much would prefer to see these three guys in. Kipper, is that it? Just uh, a quick note, you almost watched the physicality of the first round, and it's not you're you're not sure what you're going to get out of the North Division, but it's a big ask for mm. uh, Cole to come in and 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 be in a scenario where he can contribute goals. I I don't mind the move in terms of just feeling out the series. And you know, at the end of the day, the guy weighs about a buck sixty. That's a hard ask to get him in, in in Game One of a Stanley Cup playoff 
where you assume that everybody's going to once again get shot out of a cannon. It might not be a bad idea to let him absorb a little bit of that, maybe find a way to get him in game two or three. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say. Like, does it, it feels to me like the Habs, and I'll ask Sheldon Keefe when he comes on a little bit later, but it feels to me like the Habs are going to try and push the Leafs around. Kipper, do you agree? A hundred percent. That's the only way Montreal is going to have a chance at this. You don't want to go toe to toe with these guys. Uh, rope a dope. Uh, shutting down the offense, trying to win games 2-1, and then mm. just dragging them in the alley. And while we all agree that the Leafs have a better look uh, to, to some, some grit and some physicality, we're still not sure where they are in the grand scheme of things. And, and that's the way that Montreal is going to have to play this out, drag them in the alley and hope for the best that, uh, out of Carey Price early in this series. Kaplan, are the Leafs built to withstand this a little better now than they have been in the past? For sure. You know, I've been joking the last couple weeks that I think Kyle Dubas created a super team of good guys. Like you look at Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton, Nick Foligno. Those are all guys that guys in the league and gals in the league want to root for because they're awesome. But they also add that element of physicality and playoff experience that the Leafs have really been missing. And if they're going to avoid another collapse, they're going to be relying on those guys Mm -hmm. to just really bring it. We're going to be... I'm going to be, it's going to be interesting to see where the Leafs come out in all of this because we, first and foremost, we know they're a highly skilled team and and they want to play that fast transition game. But I'm not sure if the Leafs have still the roster. And I kind of, I like this saying this time of year that you got two type of hockey players, those that go out and and start a fire and those that put out fires. And I still see, a, a Tom Wilson or a Josh Anderson potentially as fire starters. Mm. While Wayne Simmons can certainly put fires out, as we saw with the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not sure there's anyone still in that lineup that can truly initiate a full-on physicality like some other teams we've seen already in the first round. Renault? Well said, Kipper. Uh, and, and you know what? If you look at the Montreal Canadiens right now, Obviously, uh, it's going to be a physical team. Uh, the fact that Shea Weber is going to play, I, I believe, change everything. Why I'm saying that is because, uh, you know, he was a real question mark uh, two weeks ago, and that's what he brings. And remember, after the first game of the season, uh, Austin Matthews' agent was complaining about protecting the stars in the NHL. Uh, he believed that there was too many uh, whacks on uh, star players on the Maple Leafs, Mitch Marner said uh, earlier this week, or if it's not, if it was maybe at the end of last week, that he believes that uh, you know all the D's uh, for the Montreal uh, Canadiens are Chris Stronger like because they they like to cross check, uh, and he's hoping that you know the um, uh, the refs are going to look at it. If if you start saying stuff like that, it's because you don't want to be hit, you don't want to be involved in the physicality of the game. Uh, But we'll see how it's going to turn out. But it's obvious, obvious that Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, the Montreal Canadiens, are going to be all over them. And it's going to start with uh, the first line with a guy like uh, Brendan Gallagher. And you you can go down the lineup. There's always going to be someone hitting the Stars players of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just one note. I don't think the physicality just stops uh, amongst uh, the Leaf players. I think they're going to go after Jack Campbell a little bit here. Yeah, you're you're right. There is a feeling out there from the Montreal side that this guy is not 100% healthy. 
We saw yeah. at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the new year, he was lost for about a month. And we heard yeah. Sheldon Keefe talk about managing an injury. So there's a lot of feeling that it's beyond wear and tear for Jack Campbell, that he is still a nursing whatever the situation is, i.e., a groin injury or a sports hernia, mm. but something's going mm. on with him. And I think they're going to want to challenge him physically really early here. Keep an eye on that. All right. From everyone. I want a one line answer. Everyone fill in the blank. This series will be decided by blank Kaplan. I'll start with you. This series mm. will be decided by Emily. Cool. Tending. Kipper. Austin Matthews. Renault. Carey Price. Yeah, I think I, I think Carey Price is one of the big questions. He did it to the Penguins last year. All right, Jets Oilers start tomorrow. If I don't get to it, people will be bad at me out west, so let's go there. <laughs> Kaplan, do you sense that there's a little bit of pressure on the Edmonton Oilers to perform and get this done? Yes and no. Um, you know, I do think there is some pressure in the sense that I've been looking around at the predictions and people seem to think that this is going to be a runaway for them. And I'm not so sure. I think that a lot of people are discounting the Winnipeg Jets because they were on that poor run to end the regular season. But to me, this series is all about two Connors. It's Connor McDavid, who has the ability to take over this game, but also Connor Hellebuck, who has the ability to take over the game and steal a game. I mean, look at the game last night with the Colorado Avalanche and St. Louis Blues, where yeah. Jordan Bennington really kept St. Louis in it when they had no business staying in it. And of course, the Colorado Avalanche did Colorado Avalanche things in the third period to ensure that they won. But I think that Connor Hellebuck, when he is locked in, has the ability to control a game, steal a game. And I do think the Edmonton Oilers should worry about that. I had Kyle Connor, and you got the trifecta of Connors in this series. Kipper, how do you think this will be decided, this series? Well, it's the big boys on Edmonton, no question. Uh, you you don't even know the health of the Winnipeg Jets uh, traveling. It's it's under the uh, assumption that Ehlers and uh, yeah. Pierre-Luc Dubois will make the trip, but not sure on their availability. I had heard that uh, earlier that maybe Ehlers might be a guy that may not see action until later on in the series and arguably one of their MVPs this year. So no question that health is a huge factor starting this series. And I see Edmonton taking full advantage of it in game one, possibly game two. Renault after one Oh five and 56, what? like, I, I don't know what to think anymore. Like the McDavid thing was ridiculous yeah. this year. Can Crazy. we, can we expect him to keep up those ridiculous numbers even when it kind of tightens up in the postseason? Well, you know what? You, you need to wonder if the fact that there's no fans in the stands really helps. Uh, because if you look at the energy level in Carolina, if you look at yeah. the energy level uh, in Florida, I mean, it was through the roof. Uh, is it a, a big advantage uh, for Connor McDavid? I mean, he's, a, he's the best skilled player in the game. I No doubt about that, okay? But the fact that, um, you know, uh, for the referees, uh, it's kind of easier to make calls wherever you are in Canada because nobody is going to be all over you during that game. So, I mean, yes, it's a big advantage, I believe, I believe for the Oilers and for him. But that being said, if Nikola Ehlers can play, that's a game changer because if you compare Nikola Ehlers to Brandon Gallagher, I mean, Brandon Gallagher is the engine of the Montreal Canes. That's what Philip Deneau said earlier this year. 
You can say exactly the same thing with Ehlers. He's the engine of that franchi franchise. If he's not in the lineup, it's really difficult. Connor McDavid or not, if he's not in the lineup, I think that the Jets are going to be in real trouble. Kipper, does it feel like McDavid's prime for that next step? The playoffs? You never want to underestimate some of these uh, players as skilled and highly motivated as McDavid and Crosby. But again, we are talking about uh, a marathon here of four rounds and how far they, he can continue to push that every other night <laughs> is still... It's debatable whether or not he has the supporting cast around him for, for, for McDavid to see this thing right through. There's, you never want to underestimate a guy that now is a legit two-point-a-game guy. I mean, that can go a long way to win a lot of hockey clubs, but we've seen the game has changed and evolved in so many ways. But what hasn't, everybody, is the fact that you need four lines. You need other guys that can step up and be the John Druce of 2021. Right. And that is still needed, that depth uh, to, to take this thing over the finish line. We'll see how it starts out for, for Connor. I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to get shot out of a cannon, but it's going to be tough to get to a conference final or a Stanley Cup final uh, if, if it's only McDavid and Dreisaitl that carry the, the majority of the weight. All right, let's play that same game. Uh, this series will be decided by blank. Kaplan, this series will be decided by... Connors. Connors. Kipper? I'll, I'll go with the blue line. I'll okay. go with a little layering, okay. some depth, and I'll yeah. go with, uh, with Nurse and Barry. Where are they? Because uh, I, I don't see that same type of push from Winnipeg. Uh, Renault? Ehlers, if he plays, yeah. they have a really good chance. If he don't play, if he doesn't play, forget it. I don't think the Jets uh, can match uh, the Oilers. All right, we're going to take the quick break. When we come back, Renault, I need to get this story about maybe fans in Montreal. We'll, yeah, we'll walk down that road. We'll ask Renault Lavoie, and we'll get into the best of the rest. We'll go to the States, Kaplan, next on Tim and Friends. Roundtable still assembled here on Tim and Friends. Emily Kaplan, we're calling it Cap, Capper and Kipper here. Uh, Nick Kiprios and Renault Lavoie. Renault Lavoie came up with it, so I'm not going to claim any sort of uh, territorial <laughs> rights on that in any way, shape, or form. Renault, i got to ask you, before we move on to the rest of the series, yeah. and there have been amazing ones, what's the story out of Montreal surrounding the potential of fans yeah. by Game 6? Is that a possibility? Yeah, no more curfew on May 28th. So the next day on May 29th, uh, you have a scheduled game six between the Leafs and the Canadians, and we don't know if, if we're going to have a game six. So it, here's the, uh, you know, the uh, Quebec government tweet. Uh, so uh, what you need to no, that that's not the, the Quebec government tweet. It's a reporter tweet. But anyhow, uh, you need to understand this. Uh, what uh, the uh, Quebec government wants is to have a maximum of 15. Uh, 2,500 people in the stands at the Bell Center uh, starting on May 28th, on May 29th. Um, you'll, you'll have 10, 10 sections of uh, 250 people maximum. So uh, there uh, now the Canadians needs to find a way. I, they, they put a plan uh, and they uh, in place. And, uh, you know, they, they talked to uh, the Quebec government last week, last Wednesday, Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. 
maybe on Tuesday. But anyhow, uh, and as of late yesterday, uh, they had no hope that they'll have fans in the stands for a game, for the, the first round. Now it's changing. Obviously, it's a little late. Would have been, uh, you know, more fun to see fan in the stands for game three and four next week. It's not going to happen, so we'll have to wait for game six if we have a game six. So what are the percentage that actually happens in game six? Uh, 100%. Oh, I yeah? Mean, the plans, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's a game six, you'll have fans in the stands at the Bell Center. They're ready. Wow. Uh, but And they were ready, I think, a month ago. But the problem is that third wave uh, that changed, uh, you know, all the yeah. plans. But at that being said, now it's way better in Quebec. It's getting better in Ontario. Hopefully it's going to get, get better out west. So, yes, probably we're going to have fans in the stands uh, during uh, the actual playoffs in Canada, which is uh, something that nobody expected. It'll be crazy if that happens, what the response will be on the two teams that make it to the next round, whether it's Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, or Edmonton. Emily, let me just ask you this, because I know I've seen you on ESPN talking about this with your compatriots. Do the Americans really understand how terrible it could be this country that hasn't won a cup since 1993 playing in a, a, a cup semifinal against a team with full capacity fans and then maybe playing their home games in a neutral arena with no fans. I'm not sure Americans fully comprehend anything, but yes, I do think uh, we understand the irony here of anything. Like For me, I think of the Toronto Maple Leafs and their fans have been tortured since 1967 and just the irony of them finally breaking through with one of their most talented teams ever and not being able to experience it with, with them. Um, I, I, I have empathy for them. I think that really sucks. Kipper, do you think there's a, the league is worried about this in any way, shape or form? It's, a, it's an ongoing daily question right. uh, amongst the Canadian teams uh, here in Toronto. I know it's daily whether or not uh, they're dealing with uh, provincial or federal. And where are they? And it's almost as if uh, they gotta, somebody's got to green light it together. There's no question about that. Where is the liability on all of this? We saw our premier tell everybody in the restaurant business start up get the patio fill the fridges and then he shuts down a few days later so it's nothing's been decided no answers uh, to the canadian teams or at least the toronto maple leafs still the likeliest scenario is if they are in a conference final the one that seems to make more, more the most sense is uh, playing your home games out of buffalo and crazy fans out of the united states will Canadians get a chance to cross the border and go in and if they do do they have to come back and quarantine for two weeks I who knows but nothing has been decided at least from what I'm hearing either from uh, from the Leafs or, or the Players Association hey playoff hockey in Buffalo there you go um, all right what's what's the best series outside of the north I'll start with you Renault so far from what you've seen hey you got an answer. It's too, it's too easy. <laughs> I mean, come on. You have to ask me a tougher question than that. It's the, the Panthers and the Lightning. I mean, it's just amazing to to see uh, hockey being played when when Kipper was playing, actually. Uh, that was the type of hockey that was uh, uh, making me, uh, you know, up, uh, making sure that I was, I was staying up all night and I couldn't go to bed. 
There you go. And, and you know what? To be honest with you, it was the best days. Uh, now it's getting back. And it's something that I'm so happy to see because hockey was too beige in my mind. Now, and it's not about I want more fights. That's, no, no, it's not. I want emotions. That's what, what we're seeing right now. And uh, you have to give a lot of credits to the players of uh, both teams. Kipper, you've, you're, you're the only one that's been in that kind of fire. Like, can they keep up that intensity? Yeah, absolutely yeah. they can. They're, they're jacked. And uh, the Panthers want something that the, the Lightning have, and that's the Stanley Cup. So uh, it has to go through the champions. And let's face it, uh, they've had success as Stanley Cup champions, but never have we seen any type of real rivalry coming out of the state of Florida. This, this is putting a stamp on this thing. that, And this can... This can carry on for, for decades, uh, but just planting that seed that uh, these are true rivalries now is, is taking uh, hockey in the state of Florida to a complete uh, another level. All right, Kaplan, give me the best series outside of the Lightning and Panthers then. The Sunshine <laughs> Showdown we have to move away from. What's your favorite series outside that? I want to pick the Islanders and the Pens because the Islanders are the team that's like death taxes and discounting the Islanders <laughs> until they go on a run that makes you pay, pay attention to them. And that's what they are. They just kind of grind teams out. But as long as Evgeny Malkin's not out there, Brian Dumlin as well, those are two impact players. I don't think Tristan Jari is really the difference maker in this. I know a lot of people are off on him after a poor game, but it's those guys. So I'm going to have to go with the Capitals and Bruins series just because there's so much star power in that one. I mean, you've got Taylor Hall who basically willed himself there at the uh, trade deadline and is now trying to earn himself an extension and is really doing well. Uh, the perfection line who have accounted for 48% of the goals for that team before the trade deadline. They wanted more balanced scoring. Weren't great in game one, but you saw them come out in game two. Brad Marchand starting to get a little feisty. And of course, the Caps, I mean, there's a lot of subplot there with them bringing in Peter LaViolette to reinstill urgency. So this one has entertained me through two games so far, and I'll I'll pick that over Florida any day. All right. I'll, I'll go Minnesota and Vegas for no other reason that uh, the Wild are in the psyche of, of Vegas. The best team may not advance in the second round, but uh, it, it might be a mental thing. Uh, we'll probably see flurry back in in the lineup but there's also that dilemma that uh, i think vegas wanted to go with robin laner in game two and get these both guys involved but flurry's play and i think maybe Lehner a little apprehensive of going in after that performance by flurry should uh should have him on the bench watching the flower yet again in game two Reno, i i know mcdavid's the king and i'm not going to suggest yeah. otherwise but Watching Nathan McKinnon and that top line go to work last night, even though Bennington was unbelievable. Nuts. I mean, McKinnon just seems like he's built for the postseason. Well, he's on a mission, right? Uh, his good friend, Sidney Crosby, uh, has already three Stanley Cup. And they, there's a lot of people who are saying that the Avalanche are the best team in the league. Actually, I talked to some players uh, on other teams uh, this year playing versus the Avalanche. Uh, and some told me that uh, and I'm going to name name one guy, Derek Brassard. Derek Brassard told me, Renault, when I arrived in the league, the Detroit Red Wings were the best team in the game. Mm. That's what I see right now with the Avalanche. It's the first time in my career that I'm looking at a team that I can compare with the Detroit Red Wings. Mm. So, yes, these guys are on a mission. Uh, Connor is, uh, uh, Nathan is on a mission, no doubt about that. And he wants that Stanley Cup. And if they don't win the Stanley Cup this year, 
I believe it's going to be a failure for that franchise. And he is no question, Renault. He he's a fire starter. This guy yeah. can beat you in so many ways, but there is a there's an edge to him and a physicality that uh, I don't know if any other true star in the game, and I include Connor McDavid, has that extra edge of uh, of of sheer power in his mm-hmm. game, like. Nathan can uh, he, he gets wired up and sometimes it could be his best friend. Sometimes it can hurt him a little bit, but as he matures and goes through the process here, it just looks like he's getting better and better uh, every year. We already had a moose that's Messier, but this is a horse like McKinnon horse. is just a horse. Uh, listen, guys, we have run out of time, but this was plenty of fun. I, I really appreciate y'all joining and doing this with us and hopefully we can do it again soon. Anytime. Enjoy the night, everybody. There they are. Emily Kaplan, Nick Caprios, Renaud Lavoie. Roundtable disassembled. Thanks so much. Merci beaucoup à tous. This was fun. <laughs> we'll keep the hockey talk going after the break as the Leafs head coach, Sheldon Keefe, will stop by. We'll get his thoughts on the Habs and pick his brain about the team that he sends out in game number one on Thursday. Hour two of Tim and Friends. Next on Sportsnet. Sheepdogs back here for another hour on Tim and Friends. A reminder, Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe will join us in just a few minutes as the Leafs continue to prepare for round one against the Habs game one Thursday night. And I wonder if they will have to face 2,500 fans if and when they get to a game six. Renaud Lavoie, TVA, just joining us saying that he believes that will happen. Shocking news for many of us sitting here wondering on when we can just go play golf. Some interesting news in the lineup for the Habs as well on the way momentarily. Three games on tap in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Hockey Central immediately follows us on Sportsnet. We got you covered. Start your night here every night. Then the Pens try and even their series with the Islanders. It's available to all viewers on Sportsnet Ontario, West or Pacific plus CBC. And after a great game one, the Battle of Florida resumes. Excuse me. I don't think it'll be removed unless you're Sam Bennett. Then you're removed. Eight Eastern available to all viewers. Sportsnet East. And I say all viewers. There's no blackouts. You can see it on Sportsnet East. And later, the heavily favored Golden Knights try and bounce back from a game one loss against the Wild. Catch it on Sportsnet and Sportsnet. 360. Got it good. And since you understood, can't believe the Flames and the Canucks are actually playing a hockey game right now. It's almost surreal. William Lockwood making his NHL debut. Customary solo lap in warm-ups first period. Travis Hamanick kicks the puck up to his stick. Look at Hamanick. Look at the old... nice goal. Hamanick. Second goal in as many games. One nothing Vancouver late in the first. Tyler Myers point shot. Stopped by Louis Domingue making his first start in over here. Nils Hoglander there to bury the rebound. It's 2-0 Canucks, and that's where we stand through two periods of play as they continue to play out the string kind of unmercifully. 
After a day off yesterday, the Jays are back at it tonight in Dunedin, hosting the Red Sox. See it on Sportsnet 1, Blue Jays Central, starting at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. Watch for you to watch tonight. Some good news, Rafael Dolis has been reinstated from the IL and is active tonight while Rowdy Tellez feels good and is available off the bench after leaving the last game. As for the lineup, no changes at the top. Lourdes Gurriel will be in left field tonight, batting sixth. Kevin Biggio, bit of a sore neck, according to Charlie Montoyo. He will DH and hit seventh. Santiago Espinal is at third, batting eighth. Danny Jansen is catching Chun Jin Ryu. We'll get back to the Jays in a bit. Ben Wagner will join us from Dunedin. Meanwhile, Kyle Lowry met with the media this morning before an off-season of uncertainty for him and the Raptors. He spoke for about 45 minutes on a variety of subjects, but obviously his personal future and free agency were top of mind. Are you going to end up all suspense and tell us whether you're coming back or not? <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, you know the answer. I'm just going to go out here and, um, you know, and, and enjoy my summer uh, train. Um, uh, you know, get my body right, get my mind right. Um, you know, enjoy my family time. Right? It's uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy year. It's been one of the most difficult NBA seasons I've ever had. Um, and with all that being said, I'm kind of BSing around your question because I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> the truth from Kyle Lowry. He was dropping. He was planting seeds. He was dropping a few nuggets. He was cozying up to the media. More from Lowry. Some NBA talk with Danielle Michaud coming up in just a bit. The Jets and Oilers will start their series tomorrow night. You can see game one on Sportsnet and CBC with Hockey Central beginning at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, 6.30 Mountain. Drag the hour. We'll also have a one-hour special Tim and Friends pregame show on Sportsnet West available to all. So even if you're Ontario, flick it over to West. You can see it 7.30 Eastern tomorrow to tee up game one, please. Won't you join us here on Tim and Friends? The Jets with some injury questions heading into game one. Paul Maurice saying today that Nick Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois are going on the trip but will be game-time decisions for game one. You heard what Kipper said about that. Andrew Kopp still in a non-contact jersey today, but it looks like he's likely to play. And uh, he provided an interesting soundbite after the team skate today. <laughs> I think you look at our, our team, the way it's built, uh, the, the kind of players that we have on our team from, you know, the guys on the first line to the guys on the fourth line to the guys that are not even playing. I think we got talent and heart and character and guys that play the right way up and down our lineup. So, um, I mean, Discounting us out of the series is a little insulting to me. It has been a little insulting, to be honest with you. It feels like a lot of people have pulled the Sharpie out and wrote the Oilers onto the next round. Uh, still two days away from game one between the Canadians and the Leafs in Toronto. Leafs were given the day off today while the Habs made some big roster decisions for game number one. As head coach Dominic Ducharme confirmed that youngsters, yes, Barry Kukanyemi, Cole Caulfield, and Alexander Romanoff will all be in the press box for game number one. He spoke about that decision, excuse me, which has Habs fans riled up earlier today. 
playoff are, are is a different animal. So it, it's good for those guys just to, you know, taking a, a step and and just getting everything straight out and you know coming in at the right time. Every player is in different situations. So for Cole is it's one thing for KK is another thing for every player is in a different spot, a different situation. One thing is they all know uh, what the plan is. Leafs Habs gets underway in about 48 hours, but she already knew that. My next guest knows that too. He's been the head coach of the Leafs since November of 2019. So he knows a little something about the hype that comes with this gig. It's Sheldon Keefe. And hey, I know it's busy days, but I really appreciate you doing this with us. You got it, Tim. It's, uh, it's nice, to, nice to get on here. It's a little uh, calm before the storm, but uh, I'm always happy to talk to you. Nice. Appreciate it. I-, I know things are a little different these days, but you're a Toronto area guy. Can, can you feel the excitement from the fans? Do you allow yourself to step back and understand you're in the first Leafs-Habs rivalry playoff game since 1979, or are you just full coach mode focusing on matchups and what you're about to see? Uh, you know what? I'd say a little bit of both. I think you're you're consumed with preparation and you're, you know, you got enough on your plate that you're, you're focused on, and then you, you couple that with the fact that I mean, I can't remember the last time I spoke to another human outside my <laughs> my family or uh, uh, you know anyone that's Indeed. with us in our facility in person. So you're not getting that same kind of feel and that same vibe that way. But uh, you know, I, I've been around the game long enough, and from the area, as you say, to, to know what playoff hockey is, is all about for the Leafs, and then you, you know you couple that with the fact now that we're you know we're playing against the Habs, which is as you say hasn't happened for for decades. So it's uh, you know from that side of it, it's it's exciting for sure, and I recognize our role in that. I know you were young back in 1993. Might have been playing with the young Nats, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe a little too too old along that lines, but. I remember what the meeting with the Habs would have felt like, and I know that you're focused at the business at hand and that we all know that that health and safety is paramount, but is there a part of you that's going to miss the fans in the stands knowing what this rivalry could mean? Well, for sure. I mean, we've missed the fans all season. I mean, you know, I I know that had there been fans, we wouldn't have been in the Canadian division likely. You know, if the state of the world was different, but just the fact that we played in a, in a, in a Canadian-only division here, uh, and you had these rivalries all season, uh, and the fans weren't there to take part in it, uh, you missed them. And, and certainly in the playoffs here now, you know, whether it's our series, or even if you look, you look west with Edmonton and, and Winnipeg, you know, that in itself, uh, you know, it's a great rivalry that um, you know that's been been a while since it's been able to get cooking. So. Yeah, we, we we feel that, and we we miss the fans for sure. But we also know that people are going to be watching at home. There's going to be millions of people tuning in and interested in this and invested in this. Uh, so I, I think it's terrific, and I think as you reflect on it, you know how, how the Canadian division worked out. Uh, I, I think the, from a league perspective, you probably couldn't have asked for anything more. No, probably not. Uh, you, you guys basically went wire to wire in this regular season, and by most accounts, have the most talent in the North division, but how much do things change once the postseason starts in the way the game's played? Well, I, I think certainly the, the way the games are played, that's part of it. You know, it's, it's more intense. It's more physical. 
you know, all those kind of things. I think probably the area of significance that people don't talk enough about is what changes the most in playoffs, I think, is that everybody gets on a level playing field in in terms of scheduling, in terms of rest. Uh, you know, in a regular season, you're – you know, uh, we might be catching a team that's in, right on the, the back end of a really tough road trip or a tough schedule, or maybe they're not, you know, they got some sickness, or maybe, you know, it's a team that's just not playing well and you can capitalize on that, or vice versa. In the playoffs, it's everything's even. Um, you're playing against the same team, they're preparing for you. You know, in our case here, you know, Montreal has had an extremely difficult schedule, probably as tough as anybody, other than probably Vancouver down the stretch. Uh, but now it's finally had a week off to prepare for that uh, and recover from that, I should say, and then it's going to welcome people back to their lineup. So you're going to get that, and I think that's why you know and you see such tight battles in these first-round series. And then, of course, you just take out the fact that half the league is done, right. and you're only dealing with the, the upper upper half of the league. And uh, you know this Montreal team's had a bit of a roller coaster type of season with injuries and COVID and all these kind of things. And, and, uh, you know, Don Bouchard taking over there as head coach. Um, but, you know, at the start of the season, they were the team that we were, we were fo- really focused on and trying to beat and trying to keep up with, uh, you know, out of the gates. I remember the reference that, you know, we've been pretty much wire to wire, but at the start there, it was Montreal that we were trying to chase down and things have, have changed there in that sense. But um, our respect for what they bring uh, certainly is still strong. Sheldon Keefe joining us here on Tim and Friends. Do your guys feel the weight of the first round given the past in Toronto? Uh, you know what? I was getting a lot of that question today as well earlier. And I, yeah. I think the way I'd answer it, I guess, is to say that I, you know, myself as a coach, I certainly feel it. I think as an organization, we feel it and feel the responsibility to our fans. And certainly to a degree, you know, the players, of course, feel that. Then I think rather than it, it – rather than – attaching it to the history uh, I think it's more just that it's a significant hurdle to get over um, and then right away you go from 16 teams to 18 and it starts to become real um, you know in terms of what you're really competing for um, but it, I think we have a great responsibility here as an organization and myself as one of the leaders in the organization to, to push our team past this so yeah you definitely feel that um, you know, when I break it down to our players however I think you know, we, we certainly have, you know, a, a section of our team that has been through some of this here in recent years, and, and I think they definitely feel it and want to push past this. But we've probably got uh, 75% of our roster or greater that has won playoff series, and many of them right. have won many rounds of playoffs, and some of them have won the Stanley Cup. So we've got uh, all sorts of different experiences on our team, and I think that in itself is what gives us extra confidence going into this. Yeah, a lot's been made about, obviously, the additions to your team, the grout, if you will, surrounding your young core. Do do you feel more comfortable with this group than you did, say, last year? Yeah, certainly. I I think, you know, not only because that young core you referenced has taken a big step here and um, used, you know, whether it's past failures or just their own maturity and growth here. Um, they've taken significant steps and they've been extremely focused uh, all season long and have helped, you know, help lead our team to regular season success and, and put ourselves in a, in a favorable position going into the playoffs as, as the number one seed in the North division, uh, which will be all, that's really all we can take care of and control in the regular season. Uh, so their growth is, is a big reason for confidence for us. And, 
then you just look at the additions that we've made, and I think all of these things all add up to to uh, us having a greater sense of team, a greater sense of unity, uh, and and purpose right from the start of the season. Uh, so. Uh, between our 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 young skill and stars and, and our and our depth and experience camaraderie that we have as a team, I think we're we're in a, we're in a far better place going in to this to this playoff run. That said, it doesn't change the fact that you know the challenge is difficult and and you got to do the work with the puck drops. Understood. Uh, it's not often a dude goes seventeen three and two with a goals against and a save percentage in the top ten. And, and it feels like a big decision to name him your game one starter. But this year has been different all around, and I understand that. Is this an old school, this is my starter for the playoffs? Or you do, or do you plan on using both goalies, uh, especially given the fact that you have guaranteed back-to-backs here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know if there's an easy way to answer that. You know, right. because of the, the nature of the back-to-back and the nature of the season, all these kind of things. Well, I think when you reference it being a difficult decision, you know, it certainly was a difficult decision just because of the respect that we have for Frederick Anderson and, and his capabilities as a goaltender and his experience that he brings. Yeah, not difficult because you just look at the fact that Jack Campbell has really taken advantage of his opportunity here and, and has really played extremely well, gotten great results. He gained uh, traction and confidence himself as a number one goaltender. Uh, so we feel really good about that. Um, and I think probably the biggest thing as a coach and as a team is just you just have that confidence throughout the goaltending position and, uh, that has grown significantly over the last season where now not only do you have Frederick Anderson that's ready to play, you have Dave Riddick, and then you have Michael Hutchinson who you know had gained his own experience going in in a very difficult spot to play for Colorado with the playoffs last year. Right. All of a sudden, he's the fourth guy for you. So you, you feel real, 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 real uh, confident there. But uh, Jack Campbell's our guy here to, to get going. But I know, um, you know, playoffs bring all sorts of twists and turns, and, and Frederick Anderson's going to be ready. Do you think the Habs are going to try and push you guys around? Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that's a lot of teams, if not all teams, frankly, go into the playoffs looking to assert themselves physically. Montreal's been doing that all season long. Yeah. We played them ten times, so we're no, you know, we're no stranger to that. Um, I think you just watch the playoffs the way that they've gone here to start, and you can just see that. It's just a reminder that that's what playoff hockey is about. But again, I, I just feel really good about our team and our ability to, to not only handle that, but. We're, gonna, we're looking to assert ourselves as well, and we've got some guys that are going to, going to be pushing the, the pace and pushing the, pushing to set the tone you know, physically. Um, so it, this is not something where we're, we're afraid to, to engage in, in any type of play. Whichever way the game is going to go, we feel pretty confident in our ability to not just respond but also initiate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting give and take, and obviously playoffs, uh, penalties mean something. And I was watching last night, and I was watching Brad Marchand, and I'm repeatedly shocked by how often he is willing to pay the price to do whatever it takes game after game after game. And I get that he's kind of built that way, but in the past there have been folks who have questioned whether your young core has that kind of sacrifice in them or if they've had to have it because of how talented they are growing up. How do you respond to that? How do you see that in your team? And is that something that you believe is learned? Well, I think it's a bit of both. I think part of it is ingrained in you and who you are as a player and and who you are as a person, your personality, your temperament, your competitiveness. 
something that without a doubt though is learning it comes through trials and tribulations and all of that i mean um you know expert on on the the history of Brad Marchand or any other player in the league necessarily, but even those guys took time in the league to really find themselves and find their identity and for their team to find their identity. So it's a natural, uh, natural growing process for, for any team and any player. Um, And we feel good about where, where we're at with the growth of our guys. They know how, how difficult it is to compete at this time of the year. And uh, just in case, you know, we need reminders along the way with, through the regular season or certainly now at the most important time of the year, we've got lots of experience around them that we didn't have in the past either. Yeah, it's, and there's no shame in that. Like, I think a lot of people might be watching and going, oh, I'm taking a dig at them. Like, Gretzky's famous story about walking by the Islanders' room after they swept them and thinking they're going to be celebrating a championship, and he saw them, you know, icing their wounds and they had expended too much to even savor a Stanley Cup win. Like, this is something that almost every team kind of sort of has to go through, no? Well, I think even, you know, if, if I just focus on recent history, I yeah. think, you know, I think about the Tampa Bay Lightning and what right. they went through as yep. dominant uh, President Cup uh, winners and getting swept by Columbus to the coming back with a, you know, with a vengeance last season and, and getting it done. And you look at, Washington, St. Louis, uh, all the way down the line, these teams in recent history, they had lots of years of trying to find themselves and trying to figure it out, and then it, and then it happens for you. You break through. So, you know, I, I think it's, it is as difficult as it is to accept and to look at, you know, because of, you know, the fans have been so patient and have been through so much here. Um, you know, it is a process, but it's one in which uh, our team is, you know, feels like we're – They've grown to the point that they're ready to push. Um, there's no excuses. There's no looking back. It's it's uh, it's all in um, on this opportunity that we have here, and the guys are really good, really good about it, and they're very excited to get going. You can feel it, and I, and you can feel what you just said about the fans too. And I know that it's been talked about among the fans. Last one here, and and it might be a tougher one. It's also been talked about in the media. But do you know how you guys define success this season? I mean, I think you define success on whether or not you're able to win the Stanley Cup. That's the first thing. Only one team gets to experience that, and there's a lot of things along the way. And that's ultimately what we've been focused on right from uh, day one of training camp. I mean, that's big-picture focus, uh, and that's exactly what we continue to work towards, and we put ourselves in a great spot for that. We feel like we can compete for that. But it's my responsibility as the coach to, to zoom in that focus, we got right. we got to win game one. We got to win game one on Thursday night, and we got to look to win game two, and so on, and so on. Right. We got to look to get through the first round. And if we don't take that kind of approach, uh, things will get away on us. So we've been really focused on a process, day to day detail from the start of training camp, and that's not going to change for us. Hey, listen, I, I know it's a grind right now. Uh, we thank you for doing this with us, and by extension, hockey fans in Canada. Really appreciate it. You got it, Tim. Be well. Thank you. I will. You too. Sheldon Keefe right here on Tim and Friends. Uh, When we come back, the Jays starting a stretch of 10 games against Red Sox, Rays, and Yankees. Big stretch. Hyunjin Ryu on the mound tonight against Boston. We'll tee it up with Ben Wagner. Live in Dunedin. Next. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Blue Jays with an off day yesterday. Back at it tonight against one of the best in the major leagues. Division-leading Boston Red Sox in Dunedin for the Jays' final homestand in the Sun... Oh, boy. Sun 
Shine State. Why is that a tongue twister for me? I don't know. Blue Jays Central gets you set for first pitch. 7 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 1, Sunshine State. It's a big series for mid-May. Boston sitting first in the AL East, but they have the same amount of losses as the Jays, who also have the toughest schedule in all of baseball up until now. I said it on Friday. This is a playoff team, kids. Get used to it. Time now to introduce my co-host for the second hour. And if I'm not mistaken, joining us from the brand spanking new Pandemic House, Danielle Michaud. Am I right, Michaud? Is this the new crib? You nailed it, Timmy. I'm, I have my own home now, new home. Uh, I have a room that I can shoot from, which is very exciting. And decorations and furniture are slim pickings when you go from a one-bedroom condo to a place <laughs> with more than one room. Yeah. So the best I could do with some of my sneaks, uh, some heat on the wall, just to give you some color so you could check them out, you know? Shoe wall, I see. Jordan 1's behind you. No, you ain't oh, playing yeah. around. I got some good stuff up there, Timmy. I think you'd appreciate I do appreciate it. All right. Uh, it's not just me show. No rest. Right into our first guest. Joining us from Dunedin will be where he'll be a part of tonight's broadcast between the Jays and the Red Sox. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome Ben Wagner. Benny, what's up? Hey, no complaints. Out of an off day with sunshine, temperatures in the upper 20s, a little bit of a breeze. Uh, which may be a problem for Hinjun Ryu or Eduardo Rodriguez later on. We don't know, but this is the series of the season so far for the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, you can definitely feel a little bit of a buzz and some anticipation on both sides from the Red Sox who are on the field right now, and of course the Blue Jays who had some batting practice wrap up just a little while ago. I know it's been the it's early uh, statement in Toronto baseball for a while, but even for early, like this next stretch seems shockingly important for the Blue Jays. Without a doubt. I mean, the schedule has been very difficult for Charlie Montoyo, Pete Walker to navigate one, the pitching, also the injuries, specifically with the pitching. And I know George Springer has yet to even get in the lineup. But here's a Blue Jays team that goes in to play tonight with a three game series against a division leading team. And if you play well, you could be the division leading team <laughs> when everything is done and wrapped up, knowing that the Rays are also coming into town. And then there's a significant road trip on the horizon going back to New York to play the Yankees in the Bronx and then Cleveland, which is no slouch either. So this is a great position for the Blue Jay fans to find themselves in and really start to hone in and thinking about what this summer will really look like. It's going to be a lot of fun. Ben, when you take a look at the strength of schedule uh, for the, the Blue Jays, who've had a really rough go to start, how far is the gap between them and the Red Sox? Obviously just one and a half games back, but are they equally competitive? Do you see this being an opportunity where Toronto will come ahead after these three games? That's an interesting question, Daniel, because if you look at these teams, they're vastly different, especially for the Blue Jays. Their strength is the bullpen. That's not the strength for the Boston Red Sox. What the Red Sox, though, have been able to do that the Blue Jays haven't yet, that's get consistency from their offense. This is a pretty high-octane offense for the Boston Red Sox, and I know you love hitting in Fenway Park, and you can put up some gaudy numbers, and J.D. Martinez looks like the J.D. Martinez of MVP stature, J.D. Martinez, but the Blue Jays have yet to find 
that consistency or maybe a guy that could win an MVP in their lineup in George Springer. That's still a work in progress, but this lineup has hit its stride. They've got Marcus Simeon at the top. You've got Bo Bichette. You've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting better pitches to hit and driving them because of the success that Teoscar Hernandez has had since coming off the COVID injured list. So this is a really interesting and dynamic way to look at these two teams. Uh, but for me, the Blue Jays have the better potential still to come if you compare them to the Red Sox. I feel like we have to sell this segment to an injury lawyer or something of the <laughs> sort, but uh, what are the injury updates, Ben Wagner, with the Toronto Blue Jays? I guess we could start with Rafael Dolis and maybe some good news here. We've got great news on the injury front to actually report today. Rafael Dolis has been ramping up the last couple of days. He threw a live BP. Everything checked out on Sunday. He took a day of rest yesterday. Dolis was once again very active during batting practice, getting loose and feeling nice and good and ready to go. That's the good news with the calf and somebody that Charlie Montoyo, as of tonight, can lean on in a high leverage situation. So that's where we have to start because this back into the bullpen needs to be sharp and especially they need to be sharp and available if you want to knock off the Red Sox once you get into the sixth the seventh the eighth and the ninth and just because Dolis is back doesn't mean he's anointed the ninth inning wherever the highest leverage outs come Rafael Dolis could be that guy tonight and there's also some good news with Rowdy Telez too he slipped on home plate on Sunday afternoon suffering a mild hamstring injury earlier today Rowdy was out running around in the outfield. He mimicked some swings, jumping out of the box. He did some explosive lateral movements as well, like he was leading off from first or second base and then having to bolt to his right. He checked out, so they were able to avoid activating Bravik Valera, who's in Dunedin right now, just in case Rowdy couldn't go. But Rowdy gave himself the thumbs up, and they've got the big left-handed power bat sitting on the bench and available tonight. Just an absolute thrill to get a positive injury update, Ben. Bless you for that. It's such a treat. Um, when you look at the bullpen and some of its struggles, Ben, how much of it is about not having all the guys available or not having the right guys available for the certain situation that they're in? Well, the one thing that the Blue Jays have been able to do is put the right guy in the right situation. There are times where guys just don't have that A stuff. And recently, we've seen Team Meza not maybe have the sharpest fastball command. He told me earlier today that he's not happy with his slider. He thinks it's coming out of his hand and recognized already as a ball. And that's a difference for Tim Meza, which his calling card was fastball location and a swing and miss slider. So that's something that's a little bit of an obstacle. And guys are going to go through that. But you've also had the emergence of other pitchers, and especially the other left-hander, like Travis Bergen, who's pinpoint with his fastball command and has pitched himself into higher leverage situations and exceedingly happy while doing so. His last calendar year has completely changed from being a fringe guy that may be up and down all of a sudden to maybe matching up against Rafael Dolis in one of the more potent bats in the Boston batting order. So things can certainly change in a hurry. But the Blue Jays have been able to identify as the game goes along and who's available and maybe who's not available. And think about all the injuries that they've had. They have been able to, again, pinpoint those situations where you can get the best possible matchup scenario. And there have been bumps along the way, like losing David Phelps and other guys. Uh, and Jordan Romano is not going to be available for the Blue Jays tonight. So that's a little bit of a setback. But again, by and large, the Blue Jays, when they have had guys available, they have been able to pitch them in the right spot. 
feel like dancing to the beats that's playing behind <laughs> Ben Wagner right now. I think that's Contigo behind him. Uh, speaking of arms, Benny, uh, I got to ask you, listen, it looks like uh, okay news on Nate Pearson. And Alec Manoa, the quotes that I heard from Ross Atkins, exceptionally encouraging, MLB readiness, something we're discussing, objective and subjective views on how effective he'll be at the MLB level are all really encouraging. Do you think this could happen soon for Alec Manoa? In a word, yes, Tim. I think it could happen very soon. And it's no coincidence that going into this week, Alec Manoa was shifted off his standard day to throw, and that was today on a Monday. But they have bumped him back a day, and Alec Manoa lines up in a spot where the rotation here at the big league level does have a need. Ross Stripling is a better person to pitch as a long man and a bullet weapon out of the bullpen for Charlie Montoya. And that's a position that they really wanted him to be in anyway at the start of the year if it wasn't for the injury to Thomas Hatch. We know Hatch went down for a significant amount of time so they have had the need to keep Ross Stripling in the rotation even coming back off the injured list but that start on Wednesday lines up perfectly with Alec Manoa and there will be a future need and if he goes out to continue to dominate AAA level why waste the opportunities if they think the stuff can translate at the big league level the fastball command the slider has been exceptional he's added the sinker as well that he's throwing to right-handed and left-handed batters so he's building a repertoire and a lot of momentum momentum to take the next step in his career and that of course is to put on a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. So here's my number <laughs> and call me maybe. Sorry Carly Ray Jefferson got me going I, here. I barely heard a word Ben. It's hard. <laughs> it sounds like fun there. Uh, I love the beats behind. It makes us feel like we're almost there uh, soon enough I hope. Uh, knock on wood. Benny thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Fingers crossed that we can all be together again. Appreciate uh, you guys. Yeah. Have and, fun. and we won't call you maybe. We will call you. Appreciate <laughs> it. There is uh, Ben Wagner in Dunedin. Uh, I know you were bopping along with a beat, too, Michelle. I, got I can't help it. I got something for you, though. Actually, Jesse Rubinoff has something for you. Uh, for those who didn't see it last night, Kevin Pillar got hit Ooh. in the face uh, with a baseball, and he got up and left under his own power. The whole Everyone in the the, the ballpark, whether it was – Fans, players, the pitcher who hit him, everyone remarkably concerned with the former Blue Jays' health. And just seeing him get up and walk off under his own power was a... But Jesse, uh, you said that he just tweeted? He didn't tweet. He had a Zoom where he was talking, and okay. Joel Sherman took a picture of the Zoom. And, and you know how we had that viewer discretion is advised? Uh, oh. Last week? Wow. <laughs> it might be for this. Poor Kevin Pillar. I mean, as soon as you get hit in the nose, you know you're going to get the purple under the eyes immediately. So you take that into consideration. Maybe it's not that bad, but poor guy. Jeez. No, that's that's ugly stuff. And it was hard to tell where exactly the ball caught him. I think that's why everyone was having such a hard time watching the replay because he went down and you saw him kind of pull his head, you know, his head up and there was Mm -hmm. a lot of blood. So you're going, okay, it's somewhere in this middle section. To the fact that he's able to sit there right now and talk, man, he can't be feeling too good, but could have been a much, much worse outcome, right? Sherman caught him at like the perfect time for a guy who (laughs) just got hit in the face with a fastball. His beard's still immaculate, though. Uh, I give a full credit. If you stand up, like this is like old school 
hockey mentality. Sometimes I wonder why hockey players try to get off when they put their team at a disadvantage. Just stay down on the ice, get the whistle. Like, I always think, like, even when I watch UFC, too, it's like, what would happen to me if that happened? <laughs> yes. like, if I took a 94-mile-hour fastball to the face, like, it's uh, it's over. Yeah. Like, I'm not getting up. At, <laughs> like, I like that you're pretending weeks. this is a scenario that you've thought about. Like, <laughs> well, you'd be like, done. <laughs> I do over. it all the time. I do the same yeah. thing. Like, I like, imagine... <laughs> Like that would be such really a weird hurt. thing to do. But yeah. it's so it really is, guys. I can't say I've fantasized about getting smoked in the face with a punch uh, in UFC, but it's, I appreciate it. It's the literal reason why I won't watch those gruesome injuries over yeah. again because I Ugh. put myself in that spot when I see those injuries. We're safer right. in here. Yeah, much yeah. safer yeah. in yeah. here. <laughs> uh, Hopefully. Stick around, Michelle. Can you? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, after the break, NBA play. Or the NBA play-in tournament. I keep getting tripped up by that, and it's getting frustrating. The NBA play-in tournament. The play-in tournament. It gets going tonight. Can Russ and the Wizards knock off the Celtics? Could LeBron and the Lakers get knocked out before the big dance even starts? We'll discuss next. Not only are we ready, we're kind of underway as Danielle Michaud remind, remains the fan, the friend of the show. And she joins me from Newmarket. Easy for me to say. Pacers up early against the Hornets. 20-7 to 7 is the early lead for the Pacers. Wizards-Celtics is the second game. Michaud, you a fan of the play-in tournament? So glad that that is where you started, Timmy, because it was the first thing I wanted to say. I'm a massive fan fan of this play-in tournament idea. I don't want to hear any slander about it, not from LeBron, who is only complaining because now he's suddenly in the play-in situation. But I think it's fantastic. How Look at this drama that we're going to have. Washington had a 4% chance of even making the play-in tournament in April. They have a huge run at the end. Now they've got an opportunity to try and get themselves in the playoff conversation. And do you really not want to see Steph and... LeBron go at it in this situation yeah it's like as soon as uh the Lakers and Warriors was kind of confirmed 
anyone who had an opinion on this thing said, ah, I don't mind watching this. Like, how can you argue? Even LeBron kind of shut up and said, all right, we're going to play the MVP. Uh, this is going to be fun. Like, I just, the situation is what it is in this yeah. year. And I think that the NBA made the best of this. And you say LeBron shut up. He more just talked everyone's ear off about how good Steph is, which I feel like is some sort of weird, unique strategy he's going with to just try to make us all think that they're not that good going up against the Warriors. But Steph's been real quiet because I think he knows this is going to be a tough one to get through for them, yeah. especially if AD and, and LeBron are at full health and they can find some, I, you know, they're totally going to be a totally different team in this playoff type scenario. So that'll be by far the best game, I think. Yeah, I called LeBron a liar. And I was just saying it because <laughs> you know that if he had have played Denver, it would have been Jokic, who is the MVP and not yes. Steph Curry. And if he was playing the Bucks, it would have been yeah. Giannis, who's the MVP. Like he's just doing what you're supposed to do when you Correct. face a team. You you give them all of the accolades so that they feel it's the good. mind games to me. <laughs> yeah, mind my games. mind. Uh, all right. So it's 25, 14 first quarter Pacers leading the Hornets wow. in the first ever. I know. Well, it what? looks like they had, I mean, there was questions for those who don't know uh, surrounding Sabonis and Brogdon. Both of them are yeah. playing in mm. this game, but uh, Karis Levert is not playing in this game. So uh, an interesting uh, lineup for a Pacers team that has been kind of, up and down controversy here, there. Uh, Nate, the, the assistant coach, former Raptors assistant coach, Nate Bjorgen, who you spoke to a bunch of times oh, yeah. as a sideline reporter, uh, seemingly in turmoil, but they're playing good, at least in this first quarter. Yeah, it felt like they weren't going to, the injuries were going to be their biggest issue. If yeah. Brogdon didn't play, they'd have no chance because I really felt like Charlotte's limping into this, but they've got a lot of people like, you know, LaMelo or yeah, LaMelo Ball has been the leader that they've needed, right? Like, I think he's impressed a lot of people. That's why he's rookie of the year candidate, but I just didn't think that the Pacers were going to, we're going to have enough. It's been so disjointed and so drama filled through this last little bit and then throw in that Levert's health and safety protocols got him out, which I'm curious to see how often that pops up through this playoffs, yeah. right? They don't have the bubble to protect them this time. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that people who have been vaccinated come up positive without yeah. symptoms. We're going to have to figure all that out as we move along. The The last thing that I want to talk to you about is the 45 minutes that Kyle Lowry spent talking to the uh, assembled masses on Zoom today. What was your biggest takeaway from his press conference? There was like, it felt like you could draw seven different lines and say this was the biggest takeaway, but what did you take away? Honestly, that Kyle Lowry is the greatest Toronto Raptor of all time, and he always will be because he's always been so open and honest with where his head's at with this journey in Toronto. And I think the one line that stood out to me is that regardless of that, it's going to come down to money and term, right? And that's what everyone's asking. Is this, have we seen Lowry suit up for his last game or will we see him again next year? And I go back and forth in my head about what the right move is I start, I'm starting to lean towards, you know, pay this man and give him the opportunity to finish out his career. He's not going to drop off the face of the earth next year and suddenly not be good. It's not like his season this year was only mediocre. He's still a major player for this team and you can figure out how to build around him because I think a lot of the priorities that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster might have had for this 2021 summer aren't existent anymore. So why don't you look at what you do have because the grass isn't always greener. The, the one question I would have with that, and I think that the Raptors have, and I'm not putting words into your mouth and you're suggesting that this isn't the case, is 
that's the one spot where they seem to be okay as point guard. Like it looks like Freddie Van Vliet can take the the he can take the torch and he can carry it high. And Malachi Flynn could be a suitable backup, and maybe that money is better spent on a big. Yeah, and that's a big area of of concern, right? That's an area that they're going to have to figure out. They've got twelve players that they need to deal with contract wise next year. Obviously, Aaron Baines' experiment did not work out whatsoever. Uh, they've got a chance of maybe going top four in the draft. Obviously, the lottery is going to work out in their favor, too. So you can think in that, you know, and that's an area where that maybe they could try to yeah. uh, target a big that they want through the draft because they will have a decent pick. It's funny. I feel like the the new age draft lottery and the new age draft in the NBA is less about the immediate impact of the player and yeah. more about the development of the player. And that worries, especially with bigs. Like, sometimes there's a lack of patience, but I think with this team, what we've seen over the last little while is it's not, it's not just draft. It's draft and develop. Yes, and you want someone a little bit more proven, perhaps, at that position. But at the same time, if Lowry is around, uh, all anyone talks to me nonstop yeah. about Kyle Lowry is he is the best leader they've ever had. And I think Kyle kind of knows that. He, he joked about it a few times, but... You've heard it through every player. And I thought what was a really cool couple of minutes there, Timmy, was when he went off and described every single player's, you know, individual best game or best moment through this yeah. season. Like he didn't miss a single guy. He had a moment for Freddie Gillespie, right? Like yeah. he's he's paying attention, he's developing, he's constantly teaching. And any player would benefit from that kind of leadership. Yeah, I think I saw, I think my appreciation for his pick and roll this year elevated when you saw like, okay, so Aaron Baines can't do this, but then Kem Birch pops Ken in. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like career high, career high, career high, yeah. career high. And it's just, you, you get that appreciation for what Lowry does, which is win and make others around him better. Did it, uh, did it stand out to you that he also mentioned how he's kind of tied to Messiah in a way because I, I thought that was kind of a cool point that you know can he I wants be honest to get paid yeah can I be honest here I thought that was a good way to plant the seed that I might be leaving oh, okay so you took it as like he's saying goodbye because Messiah might as well yeah I think that if Messiah leaves then that gives him the out. peace yeah you know what I'm I saying like you. I'm okay. kind of sort of tied to this guy he's giving me my 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 due and if he bounces then that gives me a reason to bounce too. But, a graceful exit, but I don't think Masai's leaving, Tim. Neither does Michael Grange. So there, that's an interesting one. All right, stick around for last call. Maybe we'll continue this conversation. Let's do it. And is it possible that we're going to have fans in the stands in Canada soon? Renaud Lavoie thinks so. We'll discuss it next on Tim and Friends. Tim and friends, that includes Danielle Michaud and Last Call. Jesse Rubinoff joins the fray uh, to conduct Last Call. Jesse, take it away, my friend. Let's do it. The Quebec government has announced that they will lift the provincial curfew on May 28th and begin easing other COVID restrictions. That opens the door to have up to 2,500 fans in the stands at the Bell Centre for Game 6 between the Leafs and Habs. That's scheduled for Saturday, May 29th. The Habs released a statement just a few minutes ago saying they were, quote, delighted with the government's decision. And earlier in the show, Tim asked TBI's Renault Lavoie, what are the odds we see fans in the stands for game six? 100%. Oh, I yeah? Mean, the plans, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's a game six, you'll have fans in the stands at the Bell Centre. But, Danielle, the question is, will the series get to a game six. <laughs> Bingo, Jess, and you heard Renault say it. If 
the Habs get to game six. And I don't know if it's going to get there, but uh, I, I did talk to Eric Engels yesterday about this series, and, and he's the only Sportsnet person who felt like the Leafs will win, but it will take them seven games to do so. I, I feel like the pressure will change, though, if there are fans there, right? Because at, at this point, the Leafs kind of have this no-pressure situation in the sense that they won't have that fan pressure they normally have. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And here, here's what scares me. Every Sportsnet analyst, every ESPN analyst said that the Leafs are going to win that series. If yeah. I'm a Leaf fan, that would scare me. When everyone's on one side, it scares me. It's asking for an upset. Well, um, <laughs> the Canucks and Flames playing out the string. Uh, Canucks beat the Flames God. 4-2 this afternoon. Uh, the teams will play their final game of the season tomorrow. But rumors already swirling about the future of Canucks GM Jim Benning. And today there are reports that the team is having, quote, Ongoing discussions with the Sedin twins about joining the front office. Tim, would hiring Daniel and Henrik be a good move for the Canucks? In the Trevor Linden spot, yes. I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. if they think that the Sedins can just jump in and do what Jim Benning Tough is spot. talking about, yeah. that that to me, like I have complete and utter faith that they are highly intelligent individuals and good human beings. It would seem to be a tough spot to put two people with no experience in advisory role is probably the right route for those two because they're beloved and i think they have a lot of input on what maybe the canucks specifically need to do but i'm with timmy that's a that's a tough gig and will it hurt or tarnish their reputation if they put the canucks even deeper in a hole and they can't figure out the solution to you know cup glory yeah that seems to me like a distractionary move bring in the beloved guys so that you won't focus on what we're about to do next Mm, i like it uh, game two of the Battle of Florida goes tonight. You can see it across the country on Sportsnet East at 8 p.m. Eastern. Sergey Bobrovsky allowed five goals on 40 shots in game one, and Chris Dreger is getting the call tonight. Dreger, who is celebrating his 27th birthday today, started 23 games this season. Is this the right move for Florida, Tim? <laughs> it's amazing to think that the kid making a million dollars is going to go in ahead <laughs> of the guy making $10 million. But that's where we are. Uh, I'm... You, you play the goal that you think gives you the best opportunity to win the yep. game. That's all. Like, I don't care who gets paid what. Play the person that puts you in the best position to win. And this also isn't new. They've done this. Joel Quimble's done this all year, right? So I think they feel comfortable making this decision. Yeah. Let him go. He's 2-0-1 against the Lightning this year. So if you're looking at just the numbers, I'm okay with it. That uh, contract, though. Whew. <laughs> On the bob. Look at, look at all the, the goalies bob. getting paid a ton of money. There's, That's going to be a thing of the past. Yeah, yeah. there's going to be an argument moving forward. Uh, Michelle, thank yeah. you for doing this. Much appreciated. Thanks, Dropping by for a couple segments. Do it in front of the brand new shoe wall. I love it. I'm glad you love it. And thanks for having me. You know, I'll be back. All right. Be back soon. There is uh, Danielle Michelle for Jesse Rubinoff and the rest of the crew that joined me today. We got hockey coming up, kids. Stick around. Hockey Central to get you set next. We'll talk to you tomorrow.